0: sometimes people say well then people are going to take advantage of you but you know i don't look at it that way because i i think uh, i'm privileged and that privilege comes with a responsibility to to share that privilege with people that are less privileged so that's what i want them to know
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to listen in on this conversation between my friend, Ilya Pozine and I. He is the founder of Pluto TV. I'm sure you've already watched Pluto TV yourself or seen it everywhere. It was recently sold to Viacom last year for $340 million. So we are sitting down with one of the most successful entrepreneurs that we have ever sat down with. Now, before That I want to remind you that Lori and I are still giving out two small business grants per week every week to small business entrepreneurs like you. This is money that was meant for Main Street, meant for the solopreneur, the stay-at-home mom and dad that's starting or building a business from scratch for that two-person shop or that three-person gym. The money that didn't make it to those who needed it most from some of the the stimulus, Lori and I wanted to do our best to make up for that. So we are giving you guys two small business grants per week, every single week. We've already given away a ton of them. We have a lot more coming up. If you want to apply for it, all you have to do is text the word grant to me at 310-421-0416. Again, just text me the word grant at 310-421-0416. 0416, and I will shoot you back a link to the app. It only takes like three minutes to fill out. It's super quick. And it's for any business that makes less than 750 grand a year and could use a small business grant in order to help them get through this tough time. So if that's you, text me the word grant to 310-421-0416. I'll shoot you the uh, app real quickly to fill out and you could be one of our two winners per week, every single week. All right. So you're in for a treat today. I mean a real treat because Ilya is such a motivating figure in my life. You know, One of the most successful friends that I have if you measure it based on business success. And I love him because we share an ethos for not just generosity, right? That's the baseline, but also this addiction of creating ideas and entrepreneurship. He's an idea machine. And he's always working on so many epic things. You're going to love the stories he tells about his very first business that he built and sold at 17 and literally how this business came to him. You're not going to believe that part of the story. You're going to love his perspective on being an entrepreneurial father and how he wants his daughters to grow up viewing money and success and contribution. You're going to love his perspective on what it's like to be um, an immigrant in the US here and to live out the American dream. I think that's really going to inspire you. And you're going to love, love, love his advice around why building a business right now in the face of a recession is actually a really, really good thing. We do a deep dive on that. So li- listen, get ready, listen up, take some notes, do all the things because this episode, I promise is pure education and inspiration. All right, Ilya, my brother, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? What's up, buddy? How are you? This is, uh, this is long overdue. It is. It is. And now we're so
0: close, but so distant. I
1: know. Social distancing kind of sucks because I get to see your pool. I get to see your place. It looks like it's straight out of Bali with like views of the Hollywood Hills, and I'm dying to get over there.
0: <laughs> I'd love to have you over here.
1: All right, man. So listen, we're going to kick this thing off with some rapid fire. It's a fun way for my listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And if something really good comes up, we'll circle back around and talk about it. Sound good? Cool. All right, gonna start real simple. Where'd you grow up?
0: Uh, so I was born in Russia. Uh, I was eight years old when, when uh, my family and I, and my brother, moved to the states. We moved to the Maryland area, outside of DC. Uh, that's where I went to through all my all my school except college, and I went to Florida for college. And then right after college, I I moved back to Virginia for a little bit, but very quickly I moved out to uh, to Los Angeles to pursue this this you know California dream
1: this this Playboy life that you live. Oh, uh, whatever. <laughs> What's your favorite quote? <laughs> my favorite quote. Um,
0: I don't know. That's a good one. I mean, I think, I think Warren Buffett said this when he said, you know, success is, is really like, somebody asked, well, how do you define success? And, and he said, success is freedom. It's being able to do what you want, when you want, whenever you want. And, and that, I, it's something I, I strive and live by. And, and, and I, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think naturally I don't like rules. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't like when people say no, it actually pushes me forward. It makes me work harder. So that freedom of being able to kind of carve my own path and and figure out my own ways and be able to do what I want and help people along the way is 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 the quote I live by.
1: I love it. What's one of your superpowers?
0: One of my superpowers. Um, I think I'm really good at at making assumptions that turn out to be right, Uh, and I think I have that. We could talk about that later. because of, I just have really good pattern recognition, and and. Somehow, I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's like the matrix is going on in my head and I just see it, you know, and, and I think all the data points that, you know, like just a common day, if something happens uh, just to an average person, that might be just some, this thing happened, but to me, it's just another data input. And eventually when a decision needs to be made, all those data inputs compute together and I'm pretty good at, at hitting bullseye.
1: that's that's pretty awesome and obviously it's worked really well for you a couple more here what's one of your favorite accomplishments so far
0: uh well i I think the big one is is building pluto tv you know we uh built a great team we built a great company uh sold it to viacom last year for a a very successful exit uh for everyone for our employees our investors um, myself and my partners and and then you know i've been able to use that to to Kind of create the next chapters in my life, and to help uh, others along the way.
1: We're allowed to name the n- the number, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's public. So Viacom acquired uh, Pluto TV last year for three hundred forty million.
1: Man, that's the coolest accomplishment. Congratulations! I can't wait to circle back around and dig into that one. A couple more here. What's one thing you're challenged by right now? Seems like everything's going great. What's one challenge?
0: Ooh, challenge. I think so. My whole life, I've been surrounded, uh, and I've been trying to surround myself by really successful people. Right. So. Uh, and that aspires me. I learn from them. Uh, I, they're just they just become my mentors, right? And and every time I level up uh, personally and business, I try to level up the kind of mentors I surround myself with. So uh, now that I'm in this whole new category, I mean I'm not stopping, right? I'm 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 going to keep going until I die. So so my challenge now is is to continue surrounding myself with people that are far more successful and better than me. I want to learn from them. You know, I want to be sitting alongside the Elon Musks of the world one day and, and learn from them, and maybe even help them and do something together with them.
1: That's funny. I literally, when I think of Elon, I think of you, and vice versa. That, that's no joke. So I totally see that happening. A couple yeah, more, that's kind of weird, <laughs> right? Right. So what's uh, what is something generous you've done recently? Uh, recently, I mean, a lot of
0: things. So so as soon as I sold my company, um, I moved my family out from the East Coast over here to Los Angeles, made them retire early. Uh, got them a house, got my dad a car because he's a car guy, um, and just you know wanted to make sure they're close to the grandkids and just have this new life because I, I I just find California and I like to be such a good place to live and especially if you retire. I mean, it has the best of everything, best weather and you know uh, things like that. And I know that's what they wanted. Uh, that was probably the best feeling, um, you know, something that I accomplished, you know, that I just gave back and I want to keep doing. And then um, recently, since this whole Covid thing happened, you know. I've been. What I noticed are uh, there's a there's people just don't know how to react to things that um, are that need to be done fast and and done well. Mm -hmm. You know, so I started uh, helping people by in in this whole PPE space of of bringing masks and gloves and sanitizer into hospitals and governments and first responders and uh, made some great donations along the way as well. It's just uh, uh, what I found is that it's just you know you're a hospital group employee or you work for the government and things in those organizations typically move very slow. And, and when the world needs you to move fast because people are hurt and they need your help, um, they, they just don't have that kind of experience. And, mm-hmm. and, and I thought I could really help and I, and I did and I still am.
1: Dude, I love that. So one of my favorite things about you. We share that ethos of giving. Last but not least, what are you grateful for today?
0: What am I grateful for today? I'm, I, in general, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to have uh, a great family, uh, amazing kids that are uh, following in my footsteps. And hopefully I can give a little bit of, of what I've learned in this life along the way to them and, and help them pave you know, a great life forward.
1: I love it. Okay, so those are great surface level questions. Got everyone warmed up. I want to take you back now to something a little bit deeper. And that is when you were 17 years old, you started your first company what was that company?
0: So it was called Cyplex, uh, and basically this was like 1999, 2000, and I grew up as a huge computer nerd, right? So everyone kept calling me to fix their computer. I remember I was in I was in school, and I got paced to the principal's office. Everyone knew I wasn't in trouble. It was because the you know principal's computer wasn't working. So that's how you know my life was. And all of a sudden in 1999, 2000, people started going online, right? And businesses started going online. So a lot of people started asking me for for uh, websites and. I didn't know how to build a website, uh, but I had a friend that was a designer, another friend that was a developer, and I brought them in, and we started, you know, building building websites for people, and that was that was really my first real business that I started. But a little bit before that, what what happened is I was working at CompUSA when I was fifteen or sixteen years old, right? CompUSA is this retail store that used to sell only computer stuff. Yeah, it's no longer in business. Yeah, uh, now it's all replaced by I guess Best Buy is one of the only ones. Last one, last man standing, right? But um, but uh, this guy came into the store and he had a set of questions for me. Or for, not for or for anyone really. And everyone said, "Ilya, Ilya, go to him. He'll know the answers." He uh, ended up not even caring about the answers to questions. But he slipped me a piece of paper and said, "Look, I'll double whatever you're making. Come work for me." And he turned out to be this well-known public speaker, this guy named Tom Antion, and um, internet marketing coach, right? And and helped a lot of fellow entrepreneurs how to like how to make money online. And he said, "Look, I want you to be my right hand," and Here's how it's going to work. I can hire you as an employee, or I can help you start your own company. I'll teach you everything about taxes and forming a corporation, and and you could you could be I could be one of your clients. And literally at that moment, I of course decided, okay, let's let's do this. Let's let me start my own company. And at fifteen sixty, and I formed my own sole proprietorship thanks to Tom. And from there forward is. I, I knew nothing else. This is all I wanted to do is just run businesses and build businesses.
1: Dude, that's wild. The chances of like this—let's call them almost like a guardian angel—that shows up at the store that you're working at, you pass this hidden test, so to speak, and it's not just I'll hire you at twice your rate. Mm -hmm. It's I'll literally put my arms around you and help you start a business. What are Mm -hmm. the chances of something like that happening?
0: It's it's I don't I don't even know how to explain it to be honest. If that didn't happen, who knows where you know where I would have ended up? You know, I. No idea.
1: Did you have entrepreneurial tendencies before that, or did this really spark it?
0: I I did. I think I had a few. I remember uh, (laughs) in middle school, I I wasn't like I was. I was like I was like a pretty good student, but I got in trouble in middle school. Uh, My mom got called to the principal's office, the vice principal's office, actually, because and she walked in. She goes, the vice principal goes, you know, your son. uh, We need to do an in-school suspension because we found him during lunch selling packets of your mama jokes to, the fellows, <laughs> to fellow students. So I don't even I don't know if I've told anyone this. But, um, this is great. But I used the school copier to make copies of a bunch of like funny your mama jokes. And oh I sold God. them to kids for a dollar. I mean, it was 100% margins. It wasn't my cost. <laughs> And, uh, and 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 I think that was probably one of my first entrepreneurial tendencies. I mean, I did. I also ran like a little paper route, you know, like little things like that. But uh, I've always loved the idea. Of, you know, I think. Look, when, when my family moved here from Russia, it was all about this land of opportunity, yeah. right? Um, but it scared them shitless that yeah. I didn't go down this normal. Let's just take a corporate job and get like a one to three percent annual raise. They were they uh, they were so so frightened, and definitely I showed them. But
1: did they want but, you to you go know, to college and then oh, get yeah. a good job? And yeah, that was yeah, my I upbringing mean, as well. Yeah,
0: when I graduated high school, I already had my company. I was doing well. I didn't want to go to school. And You sold that um, but, thing for
1: a million and a half bucks.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they they wanted me to go to school and and do, go down the normal route. And you know, they, they I definitely made them
1: nervous. Okay, this is fascinating. So. From slinging yo mama jokes illegally on the playground to selling your first company right out of high school for a million and a half bucks, then you went on to build another company sold for six million. Shortly after that, tell us about that one.
0: Yeah, so so I moved out to LA and I continued running that agency that I built, um, uh, and I turned into a full time full time company. So Cyplex built you know websites as I mentioned, then we expanded into apps and did a lot of marketing and and. For for almost a dozen years, we built probably three hundred to four hundred different apps, websites, and had different clients every year. So this became such a great input of data. It Doesn't matter if you were a dentist or a dating app, right? We we did all this work, and my interest wasn't how do I make the most profit. It was more like I want to learn how to a dentist practice works, right? I want to learn how a movie theater works. I want to learn how a startup in an app store works, right? So I started learning all that, and eventually. Uh, I wanted to become my own client right I, I i didn't want to make all these other people successful. I wanted to launch my own product in my own company, and I launched a company called open me, uh, which is a social greeting and gifting company it's still very much around today and and we we uh, we took amazing designs, we sold greeting cards, we sold e cards, and then we upsold people into various products because we really found them at this at this point of uh purchase behavior, right? Around occasions. So that, that was that company.
1: So wait, so they would come for the greeting card and you'd upsell them to the pack of balloons or the big stuffed teddy bear or something like that?
0: Yeah, because look, if it's your birthday, there's going to be a lot more given to you or if it's an anniversary, you're likely buying flowers or chocolates or something else. But we found that a greeting card was the start of it, right? You start with a greeting card and then you have all this data, right? So when this was, this was uh, when we ran that company... It was when first when Facebook was very open about their data, right? So we had we had people log in with Facebook, and we wrote this algorithm that would that would crawl through all of your photos and look through tags of your friends, right? And we organized people by most tagged, and we knew that most people that the people that are most tagged in your photos are going to be people you're closest to, even if they were tagged back in high school, right? But hundreds and hundreds, we knew that you're likely going to give them a greeting card and maybe a gift for for, for their birthday, so we. Had even, even when we had a few million users, we had 50 to 75 million data points around when they're most likely going to give a gift. And, and that's what created all that value for the company. It was a data play. It wasn't even a grading card
1: company. Man, data then and especially data now, that's the real gold rush, isn't
0: it? Oh, 100%. Data literally can, can indicate what's happening next, can indicate the way you act now and optimize your business and tell you, what, you
1: know, when to not do something even. Okay, so I'm about to make a point here how old were you when you sold that company for 6 million?
0: Uh that was in 2013. So I think I was 31 and then and then uh the previous company for a million and a half I did it a little bit earlier.
1: Okay, so you know, we've got one exit for a million and a half, we have another exit for 6 million. To a lot of people listening right now when they're in those beginning phases of entrepreneurship, they're thinking, "Oh my god, these are home runs." But you and I both know, you can't retire on, you can't do anything with 7 million bucks. But what you can Leverage that is the experiences of creating something from scratch and having not one but two exits already at a, a rather early age. What did you learn from those two companies that you then leveraged when you were starting pluto t v
0: yeah so it's a great question so from from the agency, the one we're building you know hundreds and hundreds of projects every year I, there's nothing that I, I learned everything about business mm-hmm. because you're literally working with every type of business, and and it's so broad. As I mentioned, from a dentist to a movie theater to a dating app, right? So, um, you just learn how a business works. And what I learned in that space, uh, and tell me if I'm getting too in the weeds here, but you know, every business really boils down to a customer acquisition cost and a lifetime value of the customer. Meaning. I need to bring in somebody for my business. I could be a, a dentist. I need to bring in, you know, a new patient, and then um, there's going to be a cost to bringing in that new patient. And then over their life with me, I'm going to make a certain amount of money from them, right. And every business doesn't matter if you're a sales force and you're signing up people for a fifty thousand dollar a year service, you know, or uh, maybe you have your own podcast and you need to bring in a listener. Uh, you have a customer acquisition cost, and then you have some kind of amount of money you make from that customer, right? And if those two things don't work, your business doesn't work. And those are the only two things you optimize, right? So you can make your customer acquisition costs better by creating a really good product that people want, right? Coming up with really good creative marketing campaigns that people react to well, right? And then you make your lifetime value work by offering a good product at a good price point that people keep coming back for and referring other people for your business. And and that's really that that's that's what I learned from that agency. That's the pattern that I saw in literally every single thing. If you were selling tickets to a movie, getting a new a patient for a dentistry or you know, launching a dating app.
1: Dude, that makes this whole episode worthwhile right there. If people don't get anything else out of this. If you know your customer acquisition cost, and then you know your lifetime value, and you can tweak those two numbers obsessively, you're going to be in good shape. But so 100%. many people... I watch people all the time. Like, Let's say they're selling courses. Let's say they're selling uh, physical products. Doesn't matter. They're paying 100 bucks for a customer and they're getting $75 for their product. They're ass backwards on that.
0: It, it makes no sense, right? And, and the power of those two numbers is so amazing that even if you have an idea right now, right? Like let's say you have an idea for a new business, you can test what the customer acquisition cost direction it will be. Maybe it will be even better once you start the business and optimize it, but you can test. You can literally put up a landing page, which anyone could do without any kind of skill whatsoever. You can run an ad on Facebook to this fake company that you just created on this landing page. You can see what it costs per click to get somebody there. right? And you, even on, on your landing page, let's say you're selling something, you can have somebody like add something to a fake shopping cart and go all the way through to putting a credit card number and then you say, sorry, we're sold out or something. You know what I mean? But at least during this point, You just collect the data. Did it cost me $20 to get somebody to add something to cart? Or did it cost me $200? You know, If it's $200, am I going to make enough money in this? Is it even worthwhile pursuing this? Or should I go back to the
1: drawing board and start over? Okay, here's why this is fascinating. And I'm going to ask about the big home run, the big sexy story around Pluto TV in a minute. But before we do that, this is a great segue into, in my opinion, a recessionary climate You know, everyone has varying opinions of what type of recession is coming up. But in my opinion, it's one of the best times to build a business because customer acquisition, lead acquisition, can be wildly inexpensive because so many people are pulling back on their marketing budgets. What are your thoughts around this? Yes, no, indifferent?
0: A hundred percent. Not only are people pulling back on their marketing budgets, but they're also spending a lot more time on their phone and on a computer and in front of their TV. So what you have is a whole lot of advertising inventory available without a lot of advertisers that are buying those inventory, that inventory because you don't have hotels advertising, airlines advertising, car companies advertising, right? All those companies pull back their budgets, but people are on Instagram a lot more. They're watching TV a lot more. They're seeing a lot more ad opportunity. I was gonna say ads, but they may not be seeing a lot more ads because there aren't enough ad buyers. So when that happens, it's a supply demand thing, that means Instagram, which is Facebook, is going to drop their prices, right? Because they need more people to advertise. It's, there's no better time, literally right now, to take an idea that you have and test it out, validate it, take six of them and try them out, right? And and see what happens. And if it, and if you're beyond that idea, there's no reason why you shouldn't just go forward with it because there's you could just the marketing landscape is all yours at this time.
1: Aside from leaning into your marketing budget, because I mean, us personally, we're getting leads at less than a dollar that used to cost us $4, right? So aside from leaning into the world being on sale in marketing, so do you have any other advice? Do you have any other thing that you're doing as we head towards a possible recessionary climate?
0: I mean, I think I'm, I'm looking at the opportunities of what kind of businesses are going to make through this uh, and what what won't. and And I'm also looking for pattern changes, right? So what I'm noticing, for example, you know, like my parents... My parents never used Postmates in their life. Same, but now they are right. So, old are your parents? Mine are in their early seventies. Yeah, they're they're in the sixties. You know, and and what I'm seeing is, you know, everybody, pretty much everybody under forty has used some kind of app to deliver their groceries, uh, you know, restaurant or something, right? Uh, and now, all those companies are are are, are seeing. A, a skyrocket sales improvements because not only are people ordering more, but this whole new category of people that have never used them before are ordering. So, but I don't think that's going to change once we come out of this thing, right? I think, I think once we come out of this thing, people are going to recognize, wow, this was really easy and efficient. Like, I'm going to continue using it, right? So I think a lot of things are going to change and this is just one of them.
1: Ilya, my parents are, like I said, early 70s and they spend five months in California in winter and seven months in Wisconsin. That's what they would call home base. And they left last week. And when they left, I said, hey, what's going to be different for you when you get home? And they said, well, we now use Uber Eats. We now use DoorDash. We now use like liquor delivery, grocery delivery, everything. They said, we're never going to step foot in a store again. These are my, my 70-something-year-old Midwest parents. Like They're the last one to use an app. And now yeah. their entire life has been flipped on its head because they were forced to learn how. Yeah.
0: And I think, I think those, the, that behavior is going to transition to other things. Like maybe your parents never booked their flight online. Now they will, right? Maybe they oh, were reluctant to use e-commerce. Now they will, right? Because we're getting a lot more packages and everything is delivered. So I just think it's a, a whole new, I don't even know what the name of the sector is, kind of delivery revolution is going to happen.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. I see. I, I, nothing, I can't wake up without seeing opportunity everywhere. So that's a great yeah. segue. Let's get back to the biggest opportunity of your life thus far. It won't be the biggest one by the time that you're done. But you are the founder and later on the person who sold, created and sold Pluto TV. Where in the world did that idea come from?
0: Yeah. So, so I was actually working on, on, uh, uh, on one of my businesses on, on my computer. And on my second monitor, um, I'm playing YouTube videos for my two-year-old daughter at that time. And And I know I I observed her and I'm and I know when she's sitting in front of you know regular television and watching you know something like Nick Jr., right? She's watching for hours. When I'm there picking out YouTube videos for her, I like she'd lose her attention span, then I have to pick another one and pick another one. And I'm by no means an expert of children's video. I just (laughs) learned how to change how to change diapers. And and sometimes I'll pick the wrong one. Sometimes, you know, you know, it might be inappropriate, hopefully not. But but what I found is that for some reason. And this is where, where you know this this idea hit is why is everything online all about on demand? Why is everything all about searching and finding? you know when you look at television, it's curated for you, right? You have the best of the best organized by channels, those channels are around themes, and I found nothing like that to exist on the internet. Everything was about search, and I think search is really good if you know what you're looking for, but if you have no time to search it. You don't know what you're looking for. It's actually a really bad experience, right? Because how, how many of us have sat in front of Netflix or whatever we use and browsed and scrolled for 45
1: minutes just to not know what we watch? There's no curation. Ilya, this is an ongoing battle for Lori and I every night. So it's a real thing.
0: Yeah. So I so what I actually personally do is I I look for a curated experience. So I go to Rotten Tomatoes, right? And and let's say we're in the mood to watch a horror. I'll say, What are the what's the Highest-rated horror that's available in the last like two weeks that I you know I haven't seen something like that, and I use that to at least curate for me. Um, but anyway, go, going back to Pluto, you know what I observed is just human behavior and, and, and an opportunity in the market, and and built a prototype, did a test, and drove people to it. And for the prototype, we didn't go out there and license content because that's very expensive. But all I did was, as I took YouTube videos the same way that the same ones you could search for, and I organized them into channels. So there was a stand-up comedy channel and you know a kid's video channel and, I don't know, a hockey fights channel and a news channel, whatever, like similar to television, whatever channels existed there, I made on, on Pluto. And, and I, I hired friends that were experts of comedy to find the best videos and put them back to back to back. And what I did is I removed the controls from YouTube so no one could rewind or fast forward or hit play. And I forced people to watch and I put everything on a schedule. So if it was 8.03 p.m., And you drop into the stand-up comedy channel, we're halfway through a Bob Saget clip uh, clip all the way across the the whole country or world, right? We're watching the same thing at the same time, just like television. And at that point, YouTube put out their numbers and the average person was watching 1.2 videos per sitting, per session, right? And we were getting over 20 right out the gate. So people were watching for 35 to 40 minutes, while on average on YouTube, they were watching for three, four minutes. So we Dang. knew we had something with this whole curation thing.
1: That's amazing. Okay, so when you set out and you're like, wait, I think we've got something here. Did you know that you're creating something that's going to be a several hundred million dollar exit? Or was this just following a hunch and you had no agenda?
0: No, no idea, no agenda. Actually, truth be told, I, don't, I barely watch TV. I, I shouldn't be the person that's creating a, a television streaming service. I didn't know anything about streaming. I didn't know anything about television. I don't know how the whole world of content works, all that stuff. So I literally just saw an opportunity in the market because what I saw is a shift of consumer behavior from watching TV traditionally, right? We saw cord cutting happening. We saw Netflix popping up everywhere. We saw people starting using apps on their smart TVs and their Roku sticks, right? And and I saw that everything was about like search and just didn't seem like the right approach. I did my research in music too. And you know what's funny is to this day, even since the days of Napster, right? Since the, this was like, how, how long ago? 12, 15 years ago, right? Napster allowed us to search and find any song. And we have this today with Spotify, Apple Music, everything. But today, still, more than 85% of consumers don't search. Right, they listen to FM radio, XM radio, or playlists. Mm-hmm. Right? they're not searching and finding, even though that's what they think they want. So, if you ask a consumer, you know, do you want to search and find everything and, and find exactly what you want, or do you want to be curated? To they'll tell you, no, I want to be able to do whatever I want. But you give them that choice. They have this paradox of choice. They freeze up. They don't know what to do. And I saw that with TV going online. I thought it was going about it all wrong, and built out a prototype and it worked.
1: Dude, it's wild. What was the toughest part from? Uh, from idea to finally selling the company, what was the biggest hurdle you had to get over?
0: I mean, we had so many hurdles. One of the biggest hurdles is, you know, our business was taking content from, from content owners. And, you know, and th- we wanted to, you, you can't build a business off of YouTube, right? Because um, that's not our content. We just use that to validate it. But we needed to go to the big content owners, the Warner Brothers of the world, right? And we, need, we wanted to take their movies and TV shows and put them on our platform on an ad supported level. No paywall, and all these content owners were in the in the process of doing just the opposite. They wanted to put everything behind a paywall, right They're, They wanted to sell shows to Netflix and Hulu and, and and so forth, or launch their own services. And we said, no, give them to us, and we'll give you a rev share. So it was two things. Two things wrong with that process. One is they didn't want to um, they didn't want to put the content in front of it like on an ad supported level and completely for free. And two. If, even if they agreed to do that, maybe on some older content, they didn't want to give it to us on a rev share basis because these companies aren't used to working with startups that don't have a lot of capital. They're used to working with Netflix who writes billions of dollars in checks. And they said, okay, well, if you want this show, give us a million dollars. Million. We don't have that kind of capital. So we needed to convince them to take a bet on us and say, look, give it to us. We'll make some money and we'll give you a percentage of what we make. and that was just mind blowing to them, and we pulled it up.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. That's really cool. What are you most proud of in in your entire journey of building that company? I think uh, the thing I'm most proud of is building
0: an incredible team mm-hmm. and and identifying because because I knew nothing about this TV landscape you know I, I've never raised that kind of capital uh, on the last company I ran, I raised half a million dollars on, on Pluto, with Pluto TV. We raised over fifty million dollars. Uh, I I got really lucky because I got to bring in an incredible partner uh, named Tom Ryan, who as the CEO, who um, who built an incredible team with me, ran ran the business, raised a lot of our capital, and and is still there r- running the company today now under Viacom. and uh, And I think being able to do that and bring something to people that literally disagreed with us and proved them wrong, and now millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Use it right. It's like the best I told you so you could have done, and 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 not only that, but we also got to give all of our employees stock in the company. Oh, wow! So all the way to the receptionist. So, so when cool. we so when we exited, everybody got a piece of their hard work paid paid for.
1: I had to make you feel amazing. What did that feel like?
0: It, it's just incredible yeah. and from from all ends, right? From just being able to just one hell of an
1: accomplishment all around. So well, listen, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And that kind of like is a great segue into this next question. That is, you're a true example of the American dream. I mean, you were an immigrant to age, was it seven or eight, if I remember? Eight. Yeah, eight, Eight years old from Russia. And your parents talked about big opportunity as you're growing up, it sounds like. And now here you are, not only somebody who capitalized on the American dream, but you're raising... Two beautiful, amazing daughters yourself. So, how do you want them to grow up viewing the American dream and success?
0: That's a great question. I mean, I think what what this country does is is it's truly the land of opportunity. It's it's so easy to start a company here, right? It's the, the opportunities are so wide, and you could see natural evolution, right, from this thing happening to it just there's so many sectors and so many places to start a business, right? So. I I the way I look at myself is I'm a business guy. I'm not a tech guy. In fact, the, the two new companies that I'm working on right now aren't even in tech. One is in finance and one is a consumer product. I know nothing about finance. I know nothing about consumer products. To me, tech is a tool, right? And and but business fundamentals and being able to find and hire great people, uh, that's the skill that I have, right? So what I'm doing with them is is teaching uh, teaching them this actually? So one of the consumer company that I'm working on is actually targeted at kids, mm. and one thing I'm doing is with them, I'm helping them along. I'm, I'm coaching them along the way and telling them, "Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is a hurdle I hit. This is this is why this company is going to be called that. This is why I brought this person in as a, as a partner." And you know, they understand some stuff. Some stuff is a little yeah. uh, over their head, but but I try to break it down to such a simple level. That they become really excited and encouraged to to do stuff, and I think these days kids kids are starting companies so young, right? And there's so many entrepreneurs, even in like the TikTok world, right? Uh, those kids are entrepreneurs. That the opportunities that will exist by the time they're in their teens are so massive. If if I know if I shape their fundamentals and give them even a sliver of what I know, they're gonna they're gonna take that and, and be amazing.
1: We talk a lot about money on the show. How do you want them to view money when they grow up? Wow, um I think money shouldn't define who you are uh it
0: should It shouldn't necessarily define success either um I'm not a materialistic person uh, and and I don't go buy gadgets left and right. I don't need the latest iPhone like none of that. I used stuff. to make fun so, of
1: your Samsung phone. remember
0: yeah, yeah I <laughs> literally just just got out of Android like eight months ago and and it, wasn't even because I wanted an iPhone, but I think I pissed off enough people with my. green I got tired text of the bubble. green
1: text. I wanted <laughs> a blue <handle laughs> text.
0: Yeah, yeah. so I, I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of negativity for that, and, <laughs> and I still miss my Android. But you know, I don't want them to look money as as the drive. You know, as the motivation. I think it's it's something that happens when you work your hardest, right? When you do things that are good for others, and and that's the outlook and mindset that you should have. Money is just a byproduct of that. It shouldn't be the thing that drives it.
1: Oh, man, I love that. Such a good father, and then an extension of that to remind everybody of what you mentioned in the beginning of the show. You know, when you sold Pluto TV, you were able to move your parents out here and give them a home. And I saw that beautiful Aston Martin that you got your father, and you know the tears and and the emotion in it, which is one of the most amazing, beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And um, you know, providing the masks and all the other supplies during COVID, and all these other things that. I see you doing that. Just make me light up because I love that that side of you as a human being. How do you want your daughters to view generosity and contribution as they grow up?
0: Yeah, in that same way, you know. I think uh, uh, Biggie Small said it said it best, where you know he said, "Giving ends to my friends and it feels stupendous." And that's that's really you know uh, the, the if you where rap lyric I live by, it, it's that one. I think I think. Um, you know, I'm so thankful and lucky. You know uh, where I am, and and I'm not greedy by any means. I'm just the opposite. Uh, I'm very selfless. I love to. If if I can give, I give. Right. And and sometimes people say, well, then people are going to take advantage of you. But you know, I don't look at it that way because I I think uh, I'm privileged, and that privilege comes with a responsibility to to share that privilege with people that are less privileged. So that's what I want them to know.
1: That's cool. I want to respect your time. And so I've got just two more questions before I ask you the two questions. Where can we follow you? Where can we find you? Where can we tap into you? All the good stuff.
0: Cool. So uh, on Instagram is probably the easiest is where... You know I, you could connect me with LinkedIn, but it's so flooded that it's, it's like a spam engine at this point. But on Instagram, I'm at Ilya Never Sleeps. Uh, it's a little little brand I gave myself because I literally don't I mean I sleep, but I'll wake up with ideas and I, I'll go to bed with a problem and I'll wake up with a solution sometimes. And so that's probably the, the best way to reach me.
1: At minimum, go follow this guy just to see his beautiful pool in his backyard and all that stuff. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's that's to close friend that's the close friends only. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind. You won't see it. You won't see it. Okay. So two questions. One, um, your parents were immigrants, you're an immigrant, you've had a success story. I have a friend named Bedros who says there's this thing called the immigrant edge and it gives you kind of some more grit, some more perseverance, some more superpower because you're brought up differently. Uh agree, disagree, shed some light on that.
0: I agree. I think I think there's there's this mentality when I hear no it makes me want to work harder, right? Mm-hmm. And I think immigrants have heard no for generations, right? And and even when you Finally, make it into this country um, you get so many more nodes right there's still levels of discrimination and 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 it you might have a language barrier and because of that you your opportunities are are shortened and I think naturally we just you know i think immigrants just fight harder right and and there's this i 'm not saying it overall, but there's plenty of people that are born here that that fight really hard, but I think immigrants have this fight nature built into them to always kind of conquer walls that are, that are not meant to be conquered. And, and, and people pushing them and telling them no is just a, more of a reason for us to figure out how to get it to yes. So that, I definitely agree with that.
1: I love that. Have you seen Hamilton, the play? I haven't. Dude, you have to. There's a great yeah. line in there where he's like, immigrants, we get the job done. It's so good. You have to go see it when we're allowed to do things like that again. I, I'd then, love to. Last but not least, um, give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success?
0: The reason why people should be unapologetic. So I mean, I think, I think once again, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a privilege, right? And, and once you hit that success level, you want to be able to share it. And in the same way that I've had mentors and that those mentors got me to where I am now, it's your job as a successful entrepreneur to share that and inspire others in the exact same way. Because if that didn't happen to me, I wouldn't be here. And uh, I, it's something I've always been doing. Even when I was uh, growing my other, growing, uh, running my other two companies, I was writing for Forbes and, and some other uh, online publications, not for any money whatsoever, just to share the knowledge that I've learned as a way to give back and, and say thank you to the mentors that I've had. So I, I 100% support that. Oh
1: man, I love it. Well, listen, I know how valuable your time is. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your stories. Thank you for your knowledge. I know everybody who listened, they're gonna be that much better off because of it. And it means the world to me that you would take the time and come on the show and, and share all that.
0: I hope so. Thank you for having me and thank you for doing everything that you do. Dude,
1: totally my privilege.